Hello, it's Serious Disney, the podcast where we take light family entertainment seriously. Currently, we're working through those Disney remakes they keep bringing out, ignoring the consensus and hype, holding our fondness for the originals in one hand, but at arm's length, and a magnifying glass in the other, and peering deep into them to find out what's really there. If you're listening to these as we release them, you'll know that we went on a hiatus for a while and then suddenly appeared again with an episode about the 2019 Aladdin, even though that wasn't the next on our list. We just used that film's release as an excuse to bring the podcast back. But before we went on the hiatus, we'd already recorded a few more episodes covering the next remakes in the series. This, our dive into the 2015 Cinderella, is the first of those episodes. Enjoy! Hello again! Hello! Serious Disney! He's back! Yeah, I'm Dave Bulmer. I'm Jahan Rana Singh, and that's, we're introducing ourselves yes, we, this week. We haven't done that since the first ones, really. No. So, uh, that's who we are. Yeah. If you were wondering all this time. <laughs> and uh, you've been listening to hours and hours yeah. of podcasts and thinking, who are these yeah, people? You've just been sitting there going, what is this? <laughs> But but just not really drawing the energy to switch it off, I suppose. Perhaps yeah. add on autoplay. Well, good for you. Yeah. I mean, good for you sticking it out. Yeah. This is your reward. Yeah. Now well, it, this 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 episode. Well, this explanation of who we are. Oh wow! <laughs> what a big reward! How generous we are! What a twist! Oh, a dream is a wish of a heart. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah, it's Cinderella this week. It is the 2015 Cinderella movie. Yes. Uh, the 1950 Cinderella movie, which I've looked up and came out in 1950. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that for a fact. Yes. We floundered about the dates before, yeah. but this time we're looking at 1950 and 2015. Yes. Which is really plenty of time to demand a remake or a revisiting of themes and stuff. Yes. Agreed. There's a lot to talk about on this one because I think this one sits slightly differently to the films that we've talked yes. about up until this point. It helped change the direction of where these remakes mm. were going. It's, it defined it. I mean, I yeah. when we think of the Disney remakes, we wouldn't think of that were it not for this. This is the first one that's just a remake. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Rather than a, a wry sideways look at. Yes, exactly. Or a deconstruction or what have yeah. you. It's an interesting one for them to quote unquote start with mm. in that respect. Because like you say, you know, between 1950 and 2015, you know, 65 years, that's probably enough time to come back and take a fresh run at Cinderella in yes. particular that isn't... Because we've had a lot of Cinderella-type stories in that time. Yep. Cinderella-inspired things or like, you know, specifically um, adaptations, reworkings of Cinderella. Yeah. Uh, but... I can't really think of that many just Cinderella films. No. Like, just straight down the middle, uh, uh, made on this scale. It, oh, definitely not made on this scale. I mean, any time you got a just Cinderella, it was usually a, you know, a TV panto or something. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. Uh, the yeah. Blue Peter version of Cinderella or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, or like a half-hour cheap uh, yeah. animated thing on video yeah. or something like that. The only one that's springing to mind is The Slipper and the Rose. Do you know that one? No, I don't know that, that one. That was a... I don't know when it was made. Somewhere in the 70s, early 80s sort of area. Yeah. Which was the, the Sherman Brothers. Basically oh, right. sort of did their own one. They, they, okay. they wrote songs for, and I think the script for, an adaptation of Cinderella with... Which, actually, you know, it is worth bringing this up because it would have been done with a similar sort of mindset to this. So this is probably the last time it was done like this. Yeah. It was... Um, Funnily enough, it was David Frost uh, made it. Oh. They produced it. Okay. They they wrote the songs and script. I think David Frost had a hand in the script. Do, do we, are we talking about like, the interviewer, David yeah. Frost? Yeah. And it was... Okay. 
Well, and comedian and producer, and so yeah, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of, uh, yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, the thrust of that version is that it's all very wigs and... You know, right. You know what I mean? The yeah. sort of the, um, what do I mean? Do I mean restoration, or is that a different thing? The, the people with the tall powdered wigs, <sighs> that sort of thing. I know what you, I think people will know what we mean, even if we've got the term wrong. Yes, I think the term is restoration. It probably. Uh, period. And they feel the need to alter the story. Okay. So that it doesn't feel just like the exact same thing again. Yeah. That's all though. Other than yeah. that, and even that was called The Slipper and the Rose. Yeah, were exactly. trying to avoid calling it Cinderella. Yeah. Because this is a this is an interesting story to try and just come at and do a straight version mm. of Cinderella because it's for all for all its kind of power as like a very very kind of core archetype yep. of a certain kind of like little girl wish fulfillment story. Yep. There's not very much to it. No, it's a bit of a playground. I think. Yeah. See. I suppose we'll have listeners that aren't from the UK, and yeah. they won't know about Panto necessarily. Yes, um, indeed. It's wor- I, I want I want to give a little primer on that because we this is a thing we have here, folks. Um, th- theatrical productions usually sort of cheap and cheerful. You can find them everywhere for nice and cheap, but you'll also find these sort of celebrity-filled ones in any given town's main yeah. theatre, and or with like one sort of D-list celebrity. Y- yes. They're usually around Christmas, yes. and they are just a fairy tale done on stage. But yes. what they do is they use the the basic framework of whatever story it is to just do sketches and silly yes. things. And Panto songs. is short for pantomime, we yes. should say. Um, and it's so they'll. I mean, for example, the only celebrity one I ever really went to because yeah. I happened. I just happened to be lucky enough that although we did go to a Panto at the end of a lot of years, yeah. Um, one of my grandparents was local to a theatre where they had their own in-house team that were just really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the uh, the sort of big budget ones are filled with celebrities. I saw one in which Cinderella was played by, I genuinely don't know who because I didn't watch it, but yeah. someone off of Home and Away. Yeah, yeah. And her triumphant final song with the prince was, of course, the theme tune to Home and Away. <laughs> right, and yeah, okay. That's the what? sort of thing you can <laughs> expect out of Panto. So, yeah. Some odd little funny-looking bumbly 1970s TV comedian of the sort Americans are starting to find out about <laughs> as their crimes are uncovered will show up in the role of, I don't know... You, Widow the, Twanky. Yeah, Dandini. Or like, yeah. There are various characters that are added to these stories. Yeah. Is it Cinderella that has buttons? I feel like Buttons is in like half of them. Anyway, who cares about pantomime? Point is, even the reason I brought it up is that even the Disney version was that. Yes. The Disney version took the very basic framework of almost like three basic points of story and just threaded between those points a ton of business. Yeah. Sketches and knockabout stuff with mice. That really didn't... I'm talking about the animated old version. Yeah. That really doesn't tell the story of Cinderella and isn't designed to because Mm. the story of Cinderella is... like I said, it has a lot of archetypal power, mm. but it's thin as hell. Mm. Uh, if you just tell it straight down the line, it probably lasts no longer than half an hour. And it's very passive in terms of how it plays out. Cinderella is not a character with um, any agency. And I don't really even mean agency no. in the kind of like mm. feminist critique sort of way. I just mean that she literally doesn't do anything. Yeah, she literally doesn't do anything. Yeah. And, and things are only done to her. And then is liberated from that... 100% through not her own actions. Yes. Um, 
And you know, it, it, it's not just it's not just men who no, are doing not. those actions, no. but she doesn't do anything. No. no, the two people who save her are first this fairy godmother that comes from absolutely nowhere and just magics some stuff, yeah. and then the prince. And that's yeah. basically her story. Is that's those, her those story. Two people help. And so she doesn't really have a personality other than being basically nice. Yeah. The prince doesn't really have a personality other than being basically a prince. Yeah. Uh... He doesn't even have to do a single thing. No, he really doesn't. There's no two versions of the story in which he really occupies the same role other than the guy who is looking for her. Yeah. Um, all he needs to do for the story is to not even fall in love with her. All he needs to do is issue an edict that whoever fits a certain shoe gets to be his bride. Yeah. And you can come about that in a load of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Without even disrupting the... Like, even... There's basically... Cinderella comes from two written versions. It's 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 a very old story. We'll get to that later. But there's two written versions. Yeah. I, I think in a, an Italian and a German. Okay. Um, and... Everything we know from Cinderella comes from those two versions, but even there, the prince's role is slightly different. Um, and I suppose, notably, it's only around the time that those two versions were written that he starts meeting her in the first place. Right. At the ball, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it's a very odd thinking. Like, we all just know the story. It's part of our heritage and so on, but... yeah. There's, there's almost nothing to it. Well, you know, I, I think it does... Like I said, it does speak to a a certain type of, like, very powerful wish-fulfillment fantasy of, like, yeah. oh, what, wouldn't it be great if yeah. somebody just whisked me away out of my, you know, uh, disadvantaged or mundane life yeah. and I went off and became a member of the royalty and I went to a lovely ball, etc. Yeah. Um, Which is why I always wonder, but, you know, people say that this is one of the oldest fairy stories we have or, or stories that we have. Yeah. Um... And it's difficult to gauge whether, at, at what point far back in its lineage does it stop being Cinderella and start just becoming like poor person becomes rich or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a few of those, I yeah. suppose. Whereas this, you know, with all of the iconic accoutrements, like, you know, the fairy godmother and the glass slipper, yeah. all that all stuff. All of which are brand new. The fairy godmother and the pumpkin yeah. were basically just dropped into it in these two versions, these two yeah. written versions, which was, okay, it was ages ago. Yeah. But this story is apparently ancient and has gone on. So, well, we seem to be on the subject. Might as well talk about this. Yeah. The Apparently there's this really ancient, ancient version of this story in which all it is is that there's a slave whose sandal is just blown away in the wind, lands okay. in the hand of a pharaoh or something. Yeah, yeah. And he goes like, Fwar, find the maiden whose foot this is. <laughs> well, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> And that's it. They find her, and now she's married to the pharaoh. That's the story. Well, because he's really attracted to her particular size of foot. Yeah, yeah. Wow, all right. Um, I mean, well, look, I mean, that's that's what Wikipedia says. Goodness, okay. the, the way old stories are. I probably gave it a good sniff or something. <laughs> yeah, so there are these two versions. There's the Perot version, and there's the Grimm version. And yeah. The Perot version brings in the fairy godmother. Just out of nowhere, out of whole cloth, in comes this fairy godmother. Yeah. Um... And apparently he was making some point about godparents. Okay. Um, about the importance of having this yeah. in your life. Like, well, what if your parents were really bad? It'd be good if you had a godparent looking after you or something. I don't yeah. know why that point needs to be made to children. Yes. Um, it doesn't really seem in their power. But anyway, and then there's the Grimm version, and they were all more about knockabout fun. Yeah. Um, they were sort of the, the <laughs> Chucklevision panto episode of fairy tale writers at the time. And they... Um, <laughs> 
And they come up... They actually um, explain the fairy godmother yeah. in a much more interesting way. And I'll get on to that when we, uh, when we talk about this, this version. Yeah. Uh, fairy godmother. But um, the difference is that in the Perot, she just exists for no reason. In the Grimm, there's a reason for her. Okay. Um, and one of the criticisms I have of this is that there is basically no reason for her. Agreed. Yeah. Um, Even though the rest of the film tends towards giving reasons, giving for reasons stuff. for everything. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with I that. I think I've diverted us too far. But where were we? what we were saying was we were just talking about the fact that this is a very thin skeleton of a story mm. that people have added things to over the years. Yeah. But in terms of the actual iconic elements of it, there still isn't really enough to fill out a feature length film. Yeah. Um, as the 1950 version is evidence of. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should both address at this point yeah, that we don't like the 1950 no, animated we don't. version. The, um, Cinderella, I think the reason why this was picked is because it's a stone-cold princess classic. Yeah. And it relies on that image of, of that film being a good film. Yeah. I think it's one of Disney's worst in terms of well, their fairy tales. Yeah, yeah. Their, like... It's one of their worst good films. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, there you go. that's exactly what it is, and so it's just it's just kind of weak. And whereas you know, I love Sleeping Beauty, and and there's lots in that that's similar to Cinderella. You kind of lump them together. Yeah. Um. And yet, it's I don't know. It's really artistically striking. It's musically striking. It's like it's just everything in it is interesting in some way or another. Cinderella is almost just a sort of by numbers fairy tale. I actually watched it. Um, the other day, oh okay, uh, like yesterday, just yeah. to remind myself, and it's uh, it's it just seems like they're tired. Yeah. It, now what it actually is is that it was their attempt at a comeback. They yeah. had the war, and they hadn't been able to make the kind of films that they're known for. Yeah. And then they went right. Well, look, we've recovered now. We got our finances back. Let's make a, a full on Disney film. Yeah. Which is to say, let's remind everyone of Snow White and our original glory because they didn't really like Fantasia. We'll push that aside. Yeah. You know? weren't really quite as into Pinocchio as we'd have liked, so let's give them more Snow White. So they do Cinderella. It's an obvious choice. Yeah. Trouble is, they run into a bit of trouble. If you switch off the part of yourself that, that loves it for nostalgic reasons yeah. and for like reasons of like iconism and so on, it's very, very weak. Yeah. It isn't drawn very well. It isn't animated yeah. very well. It's not animated badly, but like it's you know, it's more on a Dumbo level than a Snow White level. Yeah, yeah. The songs are almost all completely forgettable. I'm struggling to think of any of them now apart from the two. I'm not, I'm not into it. Um, yeah. And most of it is taken up with the comedy antics of these mice, which if you just happen not to find them funny, which I don't, yeah, agreed. there's nothing for you in it. No, because like I said, on paper, there is no character to mm. Cinderella or the prince, and the film doesn't do anything no. to address either of those points. No, it doesn't. In the case of... See, Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty are similar, yeah. the animated versions, in that they are both. There's not much character to the woman herself. Right? Yeah. But somehow, Sleeping Beauty... I don't know why. I just think of her as having more character. I think there's I more know character what you mean. in her voice. Yeah. And the way she's drawn. Certainly the way she's drawn. They, they really went with it. They, they really sort of... It was one of the first times they came up with an unusual style and really learned how yeah, to the, do it. Yeah, the, the tapestry style. Yeah. Um, and perhaps it's because she's framed in an interesting light. Like, we know more about her than she does. Yeah, so yeah. On. Whereas with Cinderella, she's just nice. She's just there. Yeah. She's just kind. And there's almost nothing. So, yeah, I'm a, sorry, listener. Like, I, I have nothing against people who do no, love Cinderella. No. 
No, you know, it's not like Aristocats. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Like if we, if someone said to us that they like the Aristocats, we'd probably attack them physically. Yeah, there'd be some sort of altercation. Yeah, there would. Yeah. If someone said they like Cinderella, we'd just sort of turn our backs and walk away. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Or if we weren't in a position to walk away, just keep our backs to them at yeah. all times. Yeah, and just sort of walk around depending which way <laughs> they turn to well, make sure we were blocking them, <laughs> so that nobody else has to deal with them. <laughs> Okay, no. Because, you know, we're fair like that. Yeah, no, not that bad. It's it's fine. Like, as I say, I watched it yesterday, yeah. and it was all right. But it's just business and stuff. It's just the... Yeah, the, that's what it is. Now yeah. and it'll cut to the king, and he's being silly. And then it'll cut to some mice, and they're being silly. And yeah. then... Um, then we get to a bit that I'm, I want to I want to focus in when we get there mm. on different ways that different versions of Cinderella do the ending because okay. this is where they all start to diverge yeah uh, from one another so I'll save that yeah but um, Cinderella Disney's original 1950 Cinderella is a bit rubbish I'm glad they <laughs> made it because they got to make they got they they brought back their brand yeah. and got to make all the films I do like yeah but. What it does have is incredibly strong brand recognition. Yeah. Um, and this is not just because of the Disney princesses line of recent decades. They it, it always did. It was always very... It was one of their properties. And so little girls just do respond to the imagery because it's yeah. almost the sort of platonic ideal of a, of a fairy tale princess yeah. story. And they did... They, they approached it in a way that felt definitive. Yeah. Um, with that intention, all of which explains very well why it's the one they they did this way in the in the remakes. Yeah, it's the first. E- e- even if I, I doubt this was the case, but if they did, if someone happened to go, hey, wait a minute, what if we just started doing remakes rather than reimaginings? Yeah, Cinderella would be the right pick. Um, if they didn't, and they just said, well, now we're doing Cinderella, it would be a reasonable idea to go. Okay, I'm just going to do a direct remake without a reimagining. Yeah, purely because it's. Um, there's a lot of boysy stuff, and here's a girlsy stuff. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You know? And it's it holds back in no way from that. It is the biggest, sparkliest frocks you're going to see anywhere. Yeah. Um, oh, both versions here. Are we talking about? Well, but I'm talking about the live action version yeah, particularly. Yeah. They really went entire like to 100. percent Oh yes. With that now. Um, uh, and I think perhaps part of the reason they did it is that like Disney had been doing a very good job and we are in favour of this and we like this yeah. of reimagining what their role is and just gently pushing forward social ideas and so yeah. on there's going to be a lot of people out there um, and I'll try not to be mean but there's going to be a lot of conservative people out yeah. there who are going well where's all the princesses like that I used to have when I was a little girl my daughter could do with one of these and for them here it is. Here it is. Yeah, it's it's as straight down the line as you could possibly get. Yeah. Really, I think. Um, and you know, obviously, that includes some modernization. Yes. Not much. But Not much. Just, just enough to look like none, but be plenty. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good way of putting it. But it is. It is, as you say, the really the the, the kind of the princessiest princess <laughs> movie they've made since. What's the previous princessiest princess movie they made before this? It might might still be this. It might be Cinderella again. Um, it could be. I suppose because even like the nineties stuff was revisionist yeah. compared to yeah. this. It, it, yeah, and it it stood out in that way. Um, yeah, it, it probably is, isn't it? <laughs> it probably was the princessiest movie they made in sixty five years. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting thing to try in twenty fifteen. It is. Um, after. Um, after Frozen. After Frozen, um, yeah. After Maleficent. Yeah. After so much of this, 
uh, so many of these films where they seem- It's Frozen. It's Frozen. That's the most princessy film they previously made, isn't it? But even that's really revisionist. It is. You know, it, it, obviously... It- it's got a very nice dress, but otherwise it's quite revisionist. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, this so this was a very interesting idea for a film yeah. for them to make in 2015. One of the quotes that I find interesting about this film that I'll probably return to in a couple of ways yeah. is basically the um, the Disney. I can't remember what position he's in. Alan Horn, like chairman. He's he's okay. a higher he's a higher up guy. Okay, was quoted as saying with this film that like basically you know. To the production team that like if you guys need to spend more money on it then spend it because right. we want to make this a definitive cinderella movie right that can go in the time capsule right, basically right, right. and that can last and can be like you know a, a proper definitive take on this story for a for a generation to come so let's really go for this well that shows in a couple of ways firstly because it, it absolutely stands up to that definition. Yeah. And secondly, because a lot of money is on the screen. Yes, it like, is. Uh, uh, did they go to real palaces? Like, what was all that? Are those sets? Is that I mean, CG? What's going on? It looked I've never like seen it, as many pillars and chandeliers and things. It must be an on-location thing. They can't. Yeah. They wouldn't build that, would they? I'm sure there's lots of houses See, in this country that would look like that. Basically. Yeah, though. I assume so. It's just that I. I'm sure I saw a review that mentioned the production designer's sets. I'm guessing, like, the prince's palace and stuff was probably all... But, like, you know, say Cinderella's house, which was quite lavishly laid out and stuff. Um, But, you know, even if... I don't know. I don't yeah. know what was a set or what wasn't I'm, a set. Which I guess the, is a good thing. Exactly. I'm thinking of the ballroom stuff. That yeah. stuff is so lavish. That yeah. It was, in fact, I remember while I was watching it, I was thinking, like, where can they go with Beauty and the Beast? Because they've used up all of their imagery of this sort in this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frankly, I, I think they went smaller. I yeah. think that Cinderella is more impressive yeah. in those terms. But I think this is probably a good point to just... Let's lay out in just general terms. Did we like this movie? Right, yes. I uh, yes! <laughs> sort of. I uh, yeah. Like <laughs> I I find it a very tricky one because as a general thing I had a decent time watching it. But there was no shortage of little niggles and sort yeah. of things that kept pestering at me. Um and one that Seems like quite a big one, and you might be able to talk me around. Okay. Um, because I think you liked it a lot more than I, I did. I genuinely really like this yeah. film. Uh, I think it's... It, for me, this is one of the strongest remakes they've made. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, every... You know, across every dimension better mm-hmm. than the 1950 film. And the, this one feels like a really strong take on Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Uh that I think does actually meet their standard of definitive. Yeah, you definitely. And there's a strength in being able to do it. It's not an Im- if you set if you wanted to make a Cinderella film, it wouldn't accidentally make itself. You'd have to work hard yeah. to make it look as basic as this. Like I don't, yeah. I don't mean basic. No, but in I know terms what you- of the adaptation of the yeah. story. It, there's nothing out of place or out or unusual or surprising about it. There it's are not like oh, here's a weird bit exactly. of Cinderella. Exactly. There are surprises in it, but. This isn't the sort of like revolting rhymes Cinderella or anything. This is just. It's not even. Or or Maleficent. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's just. Like I said, it's a very, very pure version of Cinderella. And that is an extraordinarily difficult thing Mm. to make into a palatable two hour movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely palatable. Yeah. This is, I suppose, the the core of my thesis of why I think this is a, a film that, like, it sort of. 
it stands out both in terms of like as a piece of work and in terms of what they've been doing in general with these remakes is the fact that like i said it is that whole idea that they are attempting to make a definitive version of the story of cinderella rather than a remake first and foremost yeah that is the big difference between this film and all of the other remakes, as far Mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, that they've made. With the exception of Pete's Dragon, which is also its own thing, before it is a remake. This is a new version of Cinderella before it is a remake of Disney's Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think... There's only... There there are a few little nods to the fact that it's the remake, like the mice. Yeah. But yes. But it feels like it in those instances it's taking ideas and inspiration from the 1950 film rather than existing purely as a reaction to it yeah um which all of the other remakes again pete's dragon aside are doing yeah they are even the ones that i like like the jungle book yeah or they are only it feels like the reason that they are there artistically is as companion pieces or derivative works of a film that Disney already made. Yes, whereas this film, someone someone who wasn't Disney could make this exact version of Cinderella yeah. if for what if they happen to have the money to put into it and the will to do it. Yeah, there's nothing in this that's just the Disney version. No, I mean they probably you know like this version is able to push it a bit further. Yeah, a little bit. and you know take original character names from the Disney version and uh, really specifically go for Disney-specific iconography. Yeah. But not that much. No, there's not... I mean, you know, what? imagine if someone, some random other company made this film. Yeah. You know, Disney wouldn't sue them for using a glass slipper, for instance. There's not no. that much that you can really pin down. A mouse a... called Gus. Well, that may be, yeah. yeah. They, they might... That's it. <laughs> That's kind of it. And then you can't... You know, not even, like, the design of the carriage is particularly much like the Disney version. No. No. And for me, that I think that's what... But it ri- evokes it. It does evoke it. And, like, I think that's why I feel like this film has a lot of life and a lot of, um, a lot of feeling of, like, internally generated purpose. This one doesn't feel like... You know, I mean, we'll get to this film later, but Beauty and the Beast, yeah. the remake, yeah. feels like a piece of Beauty and the Beast merchandise. Yeah. Disney, you know, of the 90... You know, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. This is, like, something they would sell in the Disney shop. This... Cinderella 2015 feels like a film, like a, yeah. a film first and foremost, a piece of filmmaking where they've really tried to just make a proper 2015 appropriate version of Cinderella. And like you say, there's a lot of work going on underneath the surface to make this film feel as simple as yeah. it is. Um, and like, I, base, I give a lot of credit on this to Kenneth Branagh mm. as the director of this. Because um, he seems to have become like kind of a go-to guy in Hollywood for making really old-style, old-fashioned sort of genre pieces uh, in a kind of a classical style, a st- in styles so classical that like a lot of, that conventional wisdom suggests that no, we don't make them like that anymore for a yeah. reason. And he just kind of he's kind of able to overcome that just by throwing a lot of money and like lavishness and care and attention at it and sort of like overcomes the corniness gap. Yeah. It didn't feel too corny, did it? There was... It is, but it yeah. doesn't feel yeah. it. There are moments where it just nips a bit over the line, but yeah. not too many of them. I mean, I just saw his new version of Murder on the Orient Express and yeah, that pulls off a similar trick. Not as successfully as this, I wouldn't say, but you know, it shows that that's an aspect of his skill set. And I can also see why they went to him to do Thor. Um, 
in terms of like the first Thor with its yeah. Shakespearean esque dial. Oh, you know, obviously he's a big Shakespeare guy, but like that style of like sort of thee and thou warring houses and you know, <laughs> like, but what of father kind of <laughs> stuff that you wouldn't. You know, you'd think, no, we can't, we literally just can't have that in a film of this scale made for a modern audience. They will not go for that. And he does seem to have a pretty good knack of being able to kind of, like, power through that. Uh, And not with revisionism. Yeah. Not with deconstructing the idea of, like, this is, like, this film in particular is not a winking film. No, never. It's not camping. There's one. There's one wink in all of Cinderella and it and I didn't like it and it stood out and that's when she almost starts singing Sing Sweet Nightingale at one point which is like from it's one of the early songs. Okay. So all it is, is is like an early scene she just like before any of the terrible stuff has happened even she just yeah. goes out and like gets a, an egg from a chicken Yeah. and she's singing this song from the Disney one and at that moment I was like is this what it's going to be like? And no it wasn't. They never returned to that sort of thing again. Yeah. So yeah. That that was all, the, that was the wink. They, there yeah. it was, and then they just didn't do it anymore. And that takes uh, incredible resolve because absolutely anyone else doing this sort of thing would fill it full of those. Yeah, it's not the film is not camping it up mm. for you to laugh at, mm. for you to kind of like look at and say, oh yes, this is the way that people used to do these kind of movies. But we're all so much more grown up than that now. Yeah, this is a film that does things like they did in 1950, basically, mm. but does them with a lot more it does them with enough nuance that it doesn't feel like they're doing something so old-fashioned even though they definitely definitely are doing something really really old-fashioned and it's a really really difficult balancing act to strike um and i think pretty much everybody manages not to fall off the tightrope whether it be the direction the production design the performances, the way it's scored, the way it's filmed. Like I said, it's a tightrope, and on one side of it is just, this is just retrograde, dull, dated nonsense. And on the other side is, this is Shrek. You know, this is like the wacky postmodern version of this. And the line in between those is so thin. Mm. It's so thin. And I'm very impressed that it it doesn't fall off. Yeah. Like it, you know, maybe it maybe it teeters sometimes, but like Yeah, but that's all. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Well, what's your impression? Well, that pretty much it's clear that I didn't like it as much as you did. So I I, I guess I have to bring in the, the the couple of things that sort of bugged me about it. Yeah. Um, one of which is that I'm trying to think of how to say this without casting myself as a really horrible person, but like <laughs> I kept finding myself wanting the women to get out of the way so I could watch more bits with the men. I huh. thought he was much better at filming men. Um, not fi- I don't mean the camera work. I mean yeah. the, the direction of the script. I loved the prince. I yes. loved the king. Obviously, Derek Jacobi is going to be good, whatever he's Yeah, doing. yeah. But he was particularly good in this. Very good. Um, the, the prince's mate that he had. Yeah. The, and the duke was entertaining as well. Yeah. Obviously, stepmother was great. Yes. But I never want to see those sisters again. And I know that's kind of the point, but they were yeah. like the fairies. In the the le- they are the least successful part yeah. of the film. I definitely agree with which, that. Which basically, but, but, but the film was divided into these two halves already. Yeah. The half of people I just liked watching and then the half of like, oh, go away. Yeah, yeah. You've got that. Which is, okay, that's part of the story and it's not only his fault, but... The difficulty that he had was that Cinderella is a passive character and has to be a passive character. Yeah. And I certainly didn't dislike um, Lillian James Potter, who played Cinderella in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lily James. <laughs> but um, it was a collaboration yes. that I thought was very successful. 
I like how they stood on each other's shoulders, <laughs> wore a giant coat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. It, were 12 feet tall. It's uh, So I didn't in any in any measurable sense dislike Lily James as Cinderella. Yeah. It's just that all she has to do is stand there and smile and be sort of nice. Um, with occasional... I did like how you would... you She would let you see the veneer drop sometimes. And yeah. you, you would see that she was trying to be nice rather than being just... just Supernaturally yeah. like nice in a way that doesn't take any effort. Yeah, exactly. In a way that Disney heroines of that era used to be. Exactly. So that was good and so I, you know, I, I thought she did a good job there. But generally speaking, all that that character was was nice. Yeah. And the mice are there, and they did right, fine. And yeah. They weren't great, and the the sisters are there. So all there is is Kate Blanchett. Yeah. But what it means is that in these two halves of the film, I have the half where I only cared about one person. Yeah. Really, like, not cared about, but cared about seeing one person yeah, yeah. perform. And then this other half where all these great actors were doing loads of interesting stuff. And basically, I thought this film was really, really good and engaging Yeah. whenever the women went away. Should have maybe been the other way around in this film. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I, like... Most particularly on the dimension that the two stepsisters... I'm glad they were not ugly stepsisters. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. They were the least successful part of the film. They're yeah. annoying, and they're supposed yeah. to be annoying, but they're yeah. also supposed to be funny, and they're not very funny. There it is. Yes. It's it's always difficult when you're trying to talk about something in a, in a film that is annoying, and you have the voice in the back of your mind saying, But it's supposed to be! Yeah. And it's it's not supposed well, to be Well they're supposed to be entertaining though. Yeah, that's yeah. They're supposed to be annoying to Cinderella and we're supposed to acknowledge that they're annoying, but we're supposed to watch the film and enjoy that. So yeah. really all you can do is camp it up and have them be entertainingly annoying. Yeah. And and they were not. They were just actually they weren't all that campy uppy. They were just sort of sort of badly behaved people. And, yeah. Well, whatever. I, I, as yeah. you can tell, I can't really pin it down, but the balance wasn't quite there for me. I agree with that. The point where I don't agree, I suppose, is with Lily James as Cinderella, because mm. I genuinely liked what she was doing uh-huh. the whole time. Uh, because I feel like... Well, I did. I don't want to put it on her. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Well, the thing with her is that, like, I... And I suppose you know, this will naturally spin off into a discussion of one of the broader conceits of this yes. version of the film. But I specifically enjoyed the fact that I didn't just feel like she was stood there being nice. Mm -hmm. I felt like... I mean, she is largely stood there being nice. But there's an activeness to what she does that isn't typically there Mm -hmm. in... Other versions this is of what Cinderella. I was hoping you'd be able to talk me round on. Yeah. Like, she, did, she certainly didn't seem to be doing nothing at all, but as I cast my mind back over the film, I don't know where that activeness is. Basically, the entire film, the part of it where we say that this is a film that works hard behind the scenes to be as simple as it mm-hmm. is, is that this is a modern film in which we go through the basic... St- not not the basic storyline, the exact storyline of Cinderella. Yep. For us old-fashioned and passive a story as that is. But it's constantly throwing in small little points to justify why a real believable three-dimensional human being would take courses of action and behave in ways that mean that they would fit into the story of Cinderella. So they come up with what were, to me, psychologically convincing reasons Mm -hmm. why 
Cinderella is the way she is right. and why she behaves the way she does. Yeah. It comes up with reasons why the evil stepmother yeah, is the way she in, is and acts that's the way what she I, does. That's what I thought you were referring to. It certainly yeah. does with her and that's one of the... That's when we get to basically talking about how the endings diverge. That's really the point at which she sort of shines. But I don't think I'm seeing it with Cinderella. What, what, what would you put on there? Well, in her case, it's, it is this sense that like, all of this work she's doing to yeah. kind of remain decent in the face of mounting adversity, it is a kind of it, it it she specifically says it's her way of like trying to kind of like essentially keep alive the flame of her parents right. within the house that they loved. Yes, okay. Okay. So if yeah, so if there's only if she's the only remnant of them, then she she has to reflect them. Yeah. Basically. And there, I very much appreciated the line of dialogue that she has when she's walking through the town of like, there is a line pretty much to that effect of like, someone's talking to her and being like, they mistreat you so much and why don't you just leave? And, oh, I don't remember this. And she says like, because it's my parents' house. Yes. Like, and that I, is very well set up early on. The, yeah. the, the dad says, like, this ha- the, your mother is the heart and soul of this house. Yeah. And as long as we have the house, she's here. She's here. And then, obviously, when the father then goes away, yeah. goes away and dies too, yeah. then that house is, all is in a sense, all she has left yeah. of and the I, happy life I really that she liked, once had. Uh, yeah, I really liked how they immediately set about... Before before even the stepmother was particularly mean to her, yeah. she started being mean to the house. You know, she was yeah. straight in with like, right, well, we're going to get rid of all of this. We're going to redecorate this. But not too much. They didn't yeah. push that too far to make her seem unreasonable. Yeah. Um, I mean, she yeah, becomes unreasonable. But oh, yeah, she it, is unreasonable. But, but, it, it, beca- it, it, but it wasn't like, okay, now they're out of the way. We're going to tear that down. No, she was just like, I'm going to decorate the, the rooms. And it's presented. You go, no, no, you're not. Yeah, exactly. But it's presented as a way, in a way that feels psychologically convincing on yeah. her part as well. Yes. We'll we'll get to her in great. We yeah. we can give her her own spot later on. Yeah. But in terms, she takes her own spot. There's a there's a yeah turning point where she basically sits in a spotlight and goes, "My film now." Yes. And that's that's why I, I think we perhaps should separate that off. Absolutely. But in in the case of the way that Lily James plays Cinderella, like I said. What she is doing is not materially that different from what any Cinderella does, but by providing us with this foundation of, of like, what her previous life was, yeah. the things that her two parents told her to do yeah. to preserve the memory of that previous life in... In the dad's case, basically, stay in the house, look after the house. Yeah. The house is this family's heritage and legacy. Yeah. And in the mum's case... Yes, and of course he's always talking about how long they've lived there and so on. Yeah. yeah. And in the mum's case, the whole thing of, like, have courage and be kind. Yeah. Like, that will see you through. This is my deathbed advice yeah. to you. And that if you just do that, then you know, then things will work out and yeah. you will be able to kind of like come away from things as a good person and as a person who has respected like the legacy of the good morals that we all enjoyed together. Mm-hmm. It means that everything that she then does, the fact that she takes all of this kind of like abuse from these people, 
the especially in especially in the case of the stepmother stepmother Lady Tremaine, who is not presented as a villain out and out in the way that she often is. Yeah. The fact that she is trying to remain good in the face of all that, it it just turns everything she does into an active choice. Right, just yeah, as okay. a just as a means of framing what she's doing. Yeah. When I say active, I don't mean she's she I don't and again, this is something we'll get to in a couple of episodes' time. I don't mean that she's making big performative actions that show her agency <laughs> as they try and do with Emma Watson's Belle yes. in Beauty and the Beast of like, oh, we need to give her a moment where yeah. it shows that she's totally in control of her own destiny. It just gives you an underlying foundation of why that character would be like that yeah. and then expects you to just apply that to everything else she does. And I was able to do that yeah. because it's in the script and I feel like it's in the performance. Yeah. I feel like, like you say, you can see the mask slipping on on Lily mm. James's face on a number of occasions yeah, when someone is doing something awful to her and you can see that she is fighting some instinct to to like should I be a should I lash out here? Should I take off now? And it happens the very first time she meets them. She she can tell that there is something off about all of them. Yeah. But you see her kind of like sort of take a breath and smile and go in because this is when her dad's still alive. So yeah. she's like, right, well I'm gonna be I'm gonna be good about this and Yeah. And then Yes, it is, yeah, you're right. It is all it is all established well enough and in little ways. For me, know. like for me the the bit the moment that kind of really brings all that part of it to a real head and you know is ultimately the thing that ends up with her being rewarded with and earning the reward mm -hmm. of the magical intervention that sets her off on the right. course of her happy destinies after the kind of the famous dress ripping scene where where Cinderella makes yeah. her own dress to go to the ball even though like she's been denied the opportunity to get her own dress and the the stepmother and the stepsisters are like no you're not coming and we're ripping this dress apart yeah and they've left and Cinderella is, like, in tears, distraught. At this point, like, at the very, very lowest ebb mm -hmm. of her character arc. You yep. know, like, she's... And she's saying, she's actually vocalising it out loud, like, that she is, at this point, wavering on, like, these promises that yes. she's made to her mother and father. It's like, I don't know if I can still do this. I don't know if I can still carry on following this moral lesson you told me. I don't know if I believe anymore. Yeah in the things you taught me because they'd taken me to such a terrible place. Yeah. And then the fairy godmother shows up in the old lady disguise and is like, can I have some food? And even at this moment where she's in most doubt about the whole moral foundation of her world, she still you still see her go through that little process of being like, yeah, look, I can have my doubts, but I still have to be nice to this person. Right, right. You know, like, and she is like, yeah, okay, I'll get you some food. I will have to just believe you on that. I yeah. was, at this point, just so distracted by the awful CG that I genuinely have no idea what happened in that moment. The CG on... Sorry, yeah, on the Fairy Godmother, I couldn't tell you exactly what bit is CG and what isn't. I mean, there's, there's something about the way she moves. Her hood moves weirdly. Her face moves in it. You know, sometimes she'll smile and the way her cheeks go up. It, was, see. it looks like the fairies from Sleeping Beauty, which makes me think that maybe some shots are fully CG. Whereas I think you know, a lot of it is her in a mask and then... But it's been manipulated somehow. Hello, Editor Dave here. Um... 
I wasn't sure I was right about this, so I went back and looked at the scene. And no, I don't think I was, but there's definitely something weird that I was responding to. I think the makeup um, is just so stiff that it gives her the same look. It kind of reads the same to my animal brain as, like, Peter Cushing in Rogue... No, worse, uh, Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy. It's like this not real face. There's this one bit in particular where she says... I should think you'd have worked that one out. And it's just before the 45-minute mark, I think, round there. And the way her whole body moves in that moment is like... It's like bouncing back and forth along a single, like, set track. It looks so CG, but I actually think it might not be. I think she might just be moving weird, and that's presumably deliberate. But anyway, yeah, whatever was going on with the way the fairy godmother looks, trying to work out what I was looking at was such a distraction that I basically missed this whole set. Well, I think I'm about to say this in the podcast, so back we go. And this is what was... I was just concentrating on this. And and it was as I was trying to figure out what was going on, and as the voice in my head, there was this deep, warm trickle of dread going, Oh, it's Helena Bonham Carter, isn't it? Because I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that did distract me sufficiently that yeah, I, yeah. I, I do not remember that bit. So I'll, I believe you. And yes, that is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I I'm actually, afraid a sort of depression was setting in around there. I did not dislike Helena Bonham Carter in this yeah. film, to be honest. I just actually no, no, me neither. I never really dislike her. My problem with Helena Bonham Carter isn't Helena Bonham Carter. It's yeah. whenever it happens, when someone goes like, oh, we need a mildly funny woman. I know, Helena Bonham Carter. She's the life and soul. This is my whole decision I need to make. There. Yeah, it makes. I me, agree with that. It makes me doubt everything else the director's going to do. Yeah. Now, luckily, this recovered very quickly. Um, yeah. And I was back on board. But yeah, um, yeah there was a there was a sense of, of sort of falling down a bit yeah, there, where yeah. I was like, oh, God, is this is this what this film will be from now on? And but it's not, though. No, it's not. It's just a quick burst of energy in it the is. right place. It is. And, I, and basically, I think Helena Bonham Carter was probably the best thing in that scene. I very much disliked that scene. The, the whole fairy godmother bit. Yeah. I... I and, and this is one of my, you know, I'll admit, extremely minor niggles. This is not something that, yeah. that, that I'm going to... I'm not saying that there was anything the film actively did wrong here. But to go from this, well, this this tonally very solid film where everything is quite thought out and yeah. justified, to suddenly drop in as many odd things as they did all at once, which I know why they did. It's the it's the fairy godmother sequence. Yeah. So it's bibbidi bobbidi boo yeah. without bibbidi bobbidi yeah. yeah. So you've picked, you've you've got her. You've yeah. put her there. She's saying it, but there's no song. She isn't made to look like the one we recognise from the from the fifties Cinderella. So yeah. I'm thinking about what decisions have been made here, and I can't yeah. really pinpoint why they've done it this way rather than than another way. Yeah. And of course you have to. I can't really. Th- I, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done this, but I found it a huge jarring tonal shift between everything else in the whole rest of the film yeah and wacky horses with big ears falling over and and yeah. it just became very very silly it became very alice to me in that moment i can see that i can understand that just for that moment it yeah yeah like for like slotted a bit in and, three minutes and, and, and yeah yeah, and yeah so no it's not helena bonham carter's fault but she was almost she was part of the block of whatever it is they slotted into the film yeah, yeah. because she's from that sort of film I think it'd sit better with you if you watched it again. Probably. Like, with knowing that that is a piece that just fits in the middle of it. And 
I think there is a deliberateness to just giving the film a, a, a you know, but it's basically designed to kind of like turbocharge the momentum of the film again. Uh, I see. I think what they're going for, whenever they, I think whenever they cast Helena Bonham Carter, they're going for a sort of watered down version of like the same thought process that gave us Robin Williams as the genie. They're, yeah. They're trying to go, this bit's going to stand out. So let's put someone who is themselves entertaining. Yeah. And I just don't think she's funny. I think she's a perfectly good actor. I liked her in The King's Speech. Yeah, When yeah. she's an actor, I don't mind it. It's yeah, when she's trying yeah. to be funny. I thought she was awful in Les Mis. It's that, yeah, agreed. It's that. It, there's nothing... But not awful, just wrong. Just not yeah. quite right. Had they cast some funny... You know, put Ellen in there or something. You know, put, <laughs> yeah. find someone funny. and Because this role is totally separate from the whole of the rest of the film. It doesn't it is, matter yeah, who yeah. plays it. So make it entertaining and I don't I'm just going to chalk this up to a personal taste thing though because it's like presumably enough people find Helena Bonham Carter actually funny presumably that she wouldn't keep getting these kind of parts if they weren't working yeah on a lot of people. I just don't think it's a, what her skill is. Like, she's a good actor. I mean, nor do I. Nor do I. I mean, I'm also... Inc- I liked her in this, but I'm inclined to agree that when she's deployed as, like, a funny, quirky lady, yeah. that's when I am I like her least, yeah. generally. But... I don't remember having any problem... I know her part was tiny, but I don't remember having any problem with her in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And that's I had a she's with almost everyone in that. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's because she's role. just playing as, like, a normal woman. Yeah, because she's a good actor. That's yeah. What, well, I assume. I've only seen her in King's Speech and, like, a couple of things. Um, but, yeah, no, when the, when they... It's when they think that she's silly and that that's what her skill is. It just doesn't ring true. Hmm. I get that. Anyway, so... But so it, it is ultimately a small section of it's the film. It's very small. It's fine. Oh, the, the, only, the, the only other thing that I think is worth bringing up, which kind of uh, just bugged me about the decisions made there goes to goes back to the idea of adaptation. Yeah. Because um, this film set up the reason from the Grimm version for the fairy godmother's appearance. Yeah. Which is the branch. In the old story, she Cinderella says to her, her father, like, well, I don't want these lavish presents that my stepsisters have asked for. I just want the first branch to brush your... I think it's to brush your top hat or something like yeah. that as you ride out. And um, this film did a brilliant job of reimagining that because in the story, I, I'm pretty sure it's just... Oh, isn't she good? It's just that she's nice. Yeah. In this film, they do recontextualize that as like, I want you to come back. Yeah. So just bring, I don't care what it is. Just whatever. Just but bring, bring it back. Yeah, because that means you'll be you'll back. You'll be here, yeah. yeah. So that's a great setup for what happens next. She plants that branch on her mother's grave. Yeah. A tree grows, and her, basically that's the fairy godmother. Um, a tree? Pretty much. It's, it's A tree on a grave. She prays to this tree or something. Yeah. Um, but... I've seen it done where essentially like the ghost of her mother is in the branches of the tree something like that it's her, okay. it's her mother yeah, in that yeah. version of the story and I think that the fairy godmother might have been played by her that that, that, uh, that might have calmed me down a bit um, I see it would confuse it if it was done in this exact way but I didn't think it should be done in this exact way um so, but what I'm getting at is they had all of the setup for there being a reason for a fairy godmother to show up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they just simply abandoned it and yeah. just brought in nothing for no reason. Yeah. Which is another thing you can do, but they had, well, they were setting it up. And yeah. this being the film where everything is set up and, and, you know, they take pains to make everything make sense. Yeah. That really just sort of bugged me because I can understand it is what that, the yeah. whole story hangs on. Yeah, and to yeah. not justify it in even a supernatural but with rules way yeah. seems weird to me. It is a, a decision that feels apart from the thought mm. process yeah. of oh, yeah, yeah. the rest of the film. Like you say, it's a perfectly 
justifiable choice on its own. And, you know, it's what the original film did. Well, exactly. This is one of the remaining remnants of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Which we were talking about earlier as, like, a good thing they weren't doing much of. Yeah. Which is like, well, Disney's... Cinderella does this, so we have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, I think, is what I'm getting at. I think this felt like this whole sequence, yeah. all of the nonsense in it. And what's more, when I watched the, when I rewatched the uh, Cinderella, yeah, that scene is the one bit of Cinderella that I just like. Yeah, because not only is it, it's not just got the song, it's not just got good animation and stuff, and and the the woman who does the voice for the um for the fairy godmother is just like one of the Disney voices and saying, so yeah, like, oh, it's you. It's all funny. It's genuinely yeah. all a fun little sketch where the fairy godmother is persistently missing the fact that Cinderella has this ripped dress. Yeah. So Cinderella's all she keeps thinking that that she's about to get a magic dress, and then it's like, oh, I know, I'll turn these mice into something, or like, oh, yeah. I know what you need. You need a lizard. Yeah. And it's always like, oh, oh, I'm not getting a dress. And then finally, she gets her to see the dress. So it's, yeah, I'm not saying they should have done that. Yeah. But it gives the scene a shape, and this scene didn't have a shape. It was just a little flipping blithering Bonham Carter yeah. just jumping around and doing the thing that they think she does, and then <laughs> and then it ended. Yeah, it, it was just nothing. It was the only bit that was nothing. I understand. Yeah, so there we go. So that yeah, no, I didn't like that scene. I did think that she like whether you like the narration or not. I think she does a good job on the narration though. She's not doing. She's not doing in the narration what she's doing in the actual. No, part. she's not. I I genuinely had no idea who was narrating it. I suppose just tangentially from the the bibbity bobbity boo scene so to speak i the reverse of that is i genuinely really like the flip side of that scene the coach chase yeah. as things are transforming back yeah. into yeah. the i th- i actually thought that was a really really well staged action sequence yeah, basically yeah. uh that was filmed like really really creatively and with a lot of like kind of I mean, tension, I suppose. Yeah. You know, not that... You didn't expect them to follow her that far, so... Yeah. She ends up having to, like, close the portcullis and things like this, and it... Yeah, and she's still in the coach as it's starting to yeah, shrink was, into a pocket. Oh, yeah, I was panicking about that. And, like, you know, you can see that the, the walls are starting to fill with seeds. Seeds, that was great. I love that. Yeah, um, a lot of good design decisions. Two of the horses are already mice, and yeah. they're flailing around in the air. And that scene, I thought that was done really, really well. Yeah. Um... And it, I suppose that's the it's it's a good example because it's it's the same sort of stuff happening, but with that sort of sense story of like thread story on. threads yeah. and like real world consequence yeah. and like real world groundedness to like oh no all of the magic is yeah. wearing off and like that means in real terms these are the implications as you're going around this bend yeah. or whatever. So should I? Should I just should I just dive straight into the other thing that was bothering? Me? Yeah, sure. It was that mantra. It was that kindness and courage. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It seems to be harking back to maybe this is just me again saying that I've identified this as a very conservative film. But I find it very difficult to hear something like um, "Have courage and be kind" in any light other than "Shut up and put up, smile and let them." And this is one of the things that, you know, the, the sort of true crime podcast movement has been working its way through. Like, My Favourite Murder is the obvious one, where they've got this mantra, which is politeness. Because there are certain circumstances where if you are polite and nice, it puts you in direct danger. So, like, if you're a kid and, a uh, like, a man approaches in a car with some sweets, the polite thing to do is go, you know, oh, yes, please, thank you very much. And if you're a, and if you're like a, a young woman alone at night, and some guy shows up at the doorstep at two a.m. asking to be let in, the polite thing to do is let him in. But f- politeness. 
<laughs> so in this case, we've got a character who is polite to the point of indentured servitude. And I've, as I was watching this film, here is this woman who, now, as you said, it is supposed to drive her into this despairing state, but it is by following the mantra of what might be the mantra of the film, mm-hmm. but it's certainly the mantra of the mum. She ends I think up it's the film. literally a slave because, yeah, by, yeah. because of following it. And following it doesn't really get her out of that situation either, really. Unless, I suppose, actually, now that you've told me that she was in that last minute kind to the, to the fairy godmother, yeah. okay, I guess. But yeah, yeah. it's not like this mantra comes out as any particularly good thing. Maybe taken on its own terms, it, it, it sounds good. You know, be nice. Yeah. But it came across to me as be passive. And so I had that in my head as I was watching it. And, like, the film never really saved it from that. It just sort of, here's Cinderella being nice. Mm -hmm. So now she's a slave. Being nice, being nice, being nice. So she's in trouble. Being nice. And now the men have come and helped. And now she's fine. You know? Mm. The same as before, the the story ends when the men come along and put it all right. And it wasn't because she was nice. And ki- or at least it wasn't because she was kind. It, maybe it's because she had courage. In other words, she put up with it until it stopped. That's how the courage bit worked. Yeah. But it seems like a command to be passive, and it and it just sort of rubbed me the wrong way in some way. I mean, in a sense, I suppose. I mean, like, I think the idea of be have courage and be kind. This is not supposed to be taken as a comprehensive apply in all circumstances. No. Lesson for life, and no. I don't think any and film, you, say that- you know, single four sentence moral no, code but they, but can be extended that far. No, it can't, but they do... That's how they're sort of presented as a kind of like... Um, especially in, in a, you know, older Disney films, there is always a wish upon a star type um, thing. And uh, perhaps it's the fact that Disney yeah. had been addressing that with, um, you know, Princess and the Frog. They dialed back on wish upon a star and they went, no, wish upon a star, but work really hard as well. There's always a flavour to these where, of course, if you play it in real world situations, it doesn't yeah. work. But they do all end on a chorus saying, you know, and true love conquers all or whatever. Yeah. Um, so here, if the phrase is... Um, have courage and be kind. The outcome of courage and kindness is servitude. Well, no, no, though. The outcome of courage and kindness is that eventually it's reciprocated by the world. Yes, perhaps that is it, yeah. the um, a, a very simple way of putting it is the day is saved by the prince and his friends, but in a thematic sense, if you like, the day yeah. is saved by him having courage and kindness. In large part because he really takes it to heart when mm. she says the phrase, mm. and both of them end up... That's ruined. right, she does, doesn't she? She says yeah. it to him in, when they first meet. And it that. clearly really, really resonates yeah. with him. And he clearly takes it as a very foundational principle of how he's going to be a king. Yeah. So... I mean, and again, see, but this kind of goes into what I was talking about. I thought they handled the prince brilliantly. It was mm. Cinderella, I thought, was a bit weak. I really, really, really liked everything yeah. sort of new about the prince and the king. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I loved watching them. Yeah. So the performances were great and the story was great and it all worked really well. So I guess, unfortunately, what I'm looking for here is incompatible with what this is, which is some way for Cinderella to have agency in that second half of the film. The closest yeah. she comes is when she finally stands up to Lady Tremaine and kind of goes like, why are you so horrible? Yeah. Um, it doesn't really get her anywhere, though. No, I will agree that they're always going to be fighting an uphill battle mm. to extract a very, very decisively active conclusion for Cinderella in yeah. any version of Cinderella that is anything like Cinderella. Yeah, and I would have been here complaining that it stood out too much if they, for instance, did with her what they did with Aurora in the previous film, which is yeah. to like actively engage in some sort of battle at the end. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know what I'm looking for. Perhaps I'm looking for some way for her to escape on her own volition from that final locked door or something. I don't know. I mean, I think that the film, though, is it is trying to... That would have been Belle, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think the film is trying to communicate the idea that there is an achievement in and of itself by remaining a good person. Yes, she, in... she always retains the moral high ground for all the good that does it. But, I mean, that is good. That is a good thing. Like, it's very keen to stress that she is never broken by any of this it's true. stuff. yes. And that her spirit is not broken, and yeah. that her morality is not broken. Yes, and that does... That in itself lends her a... a I guess this is what you were trying to explain to me earlier. That that makes her less passive than animated Cinderella. Yeah. In the sense that animated Cinderella didn't have a spirit to break. She was just nice. Yeah, exactly. She's like she's just a chunk of nice. You know, there's no work involved. What I I guess I couldn't get past, and this is my own previous biases coming in. I'll, I'll readily admit, but also it is relevant because Disney themselves had the previous year released a film of Into the Woods. Yeah. The first scene of which, film and show, yeah. this is Lampoon. Because this does come from the original. Disney didn't make this up. I believe in an older version, her, her mother's deathbed speech is about being pious. Yeah. So, you know, that would have had a, a more explicitly religious uh, yeah. meaning to it. But it basically comes to the same thing. Be nice. Into the Woods handles this. Um, her introductory lyrics as she's doing the hair and fixing the clothes of the sisters. It's mother said be good, father said be nice. That was always their advice. So be nice, Cinderella. Kind, Cinderella. Nice, good, good, nice. What's yep. the point of being good if everyone is blind and you're always left behind? Never mind, Cinderella. Kind, Cinderella. Nice, good, nice, kind, good, nice. Yeah. It's supposed to be a joke that that's what she's all she's here for is to be nice sure and it's got her in this situation and it's why she's their servant and like this film was doing the story of how that could reasonably come to be and I thought it was handled quite I like the quite subtle arc of her going from just not really liked by the Lady Tremaine and the sisters to actually being their slave was done fairly gently rather than a sudden like right from this moment onwards you work in the coal cellar yeah sort of way but I guess I, I guess I, having had this version already sort of debunked twenty years ago for me, hmm. it was all that was in my head, and and maybe that wouldn't have been enough. But the fact that Disney, the same company, had made that film the previous year, I think, was that twenty fourteen. It was something was like that. Yeah, yeah. I certainly remember when they announced it. I was going like, "What? You've just done Cinderella. You've just done a remake of Cinderella." In a sense, when I expected it to be revision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, agreed. And so it's the fact that it isn't revisionist that saves it from that. Yeah, because. I just almost think they should have done the films in the opposite order, you know? I don't know. I mean, I think there's something to be said for this film's idea that, like, keeping hold of your own morals. Yeah. Because that's the thing, like, Cinderella in this film is not just... She is doing these things to honour her mother and father. Yes. But it's not just to honour her mother and father. It's because it's deep-seated... It is a deep-seated belief that the, it's the right thing yeah. to do and it's the right way to be. And I don't know, I... I sort of think that there's something to be said for a depiction of an idea that, like, remaining a good, moral, pleasant, generous person mm. in the face of, like, adversity is its own reward in a sense. Look, and I know that, like, if you apply that idea yeah. in real life too hard, it can it can lead it you into, like, people taking advantage of yeah. you and so forth, as is the case yeah. here. But... I don't know, it's it's one of those things that, like, it's a double-edged sword. Like, if you go too far one direction yeah. or the other direction, That's it. it's it not a good too, piece of advice. It yeah, and, it, and if they'd gone the other way, it would have been too revisionist. And I think... Um, 
Also, it might have just been a kind of unpleasant message. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. See, this is it. When I was watching the film, I yeah. was thinking, this is a kind of unpleasant message, unless it turns around later. So the, the fact that at first it puts her in this bad situation, maybe it'll get her out of the bad situation. Personally, I wasn't satisfied that it did, that her application of that moral code yeah. got her out of that situation. But I am turned around on it a little bit, now that you've reminded me that she passed it on. Um, well, she passed it on to both the prince and the fairy godmother, who are the two people yeah. who help her. Yeah, that's, yeah, I suppose so. I imagine they were very careful with that. The thing about the, what was it, the, that she wanted some food or something, that yeah. that feels a bit tacked on, so that makes me think that that was what that was, that they kind of went, well, let's make sure she she passes that on to the fairy godmother but as well. But it's there. Reaps the rewards. But it's, well, exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying they did it terribly or anything. Um, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, like, I find the concept of F politeness to be a very unpleasant, you know, like, morally for all of the sensible real world applications yeah. of that if that was the message of of, of Cinderella of Cinderella <laughs> or any film that's unpleasant in its own way you know and there's it unpleasant to, downsides to that yeah, too it, it has to come with the contextual explanation of what it what it pertains yeah. to and it was just something it, i was waiting for it is thread. yeah I think that they make an attempt to pay that off. And the fact that she is able, by applying this moral idea, able to kind of like form connections with like-minded people Mm. who then are able to kind of come together, help her out, and then put her in a position where she's able to distribute that message more widely and yeah. sort of benefit the entire I world. Thinking about it, the only real, like, reasonable way that I can think of that what I was waiting for could have been applied would have changed the story a bit too much. Hmm. So, for instance, something in which during the bit while she's at the ball, she's not just dancing with the prince. She's doing something else whereby... The prince's friend sees her having courage and being kind and remembers her and recognises her when he sees her at the end or something like something like that Yeah, might have done it for me. I don't know, it's tricky because it's Cinderella and by necessity, to create tension, you have to put her in a passive position towards the end. Yeah. This, by the way, is something I... This is why I wanted to talk about the how the ending is covered in different versions. Yeah, so, yeah. Is there anything you want to put in before I move on to Well, I suppose there's not really much more to say on how excellent all of the stuff with the prince and oh. everyone in that kingdom oh, is. Loved it. Uh, other than just say, yeah, it really is. They're all so human. They're all That's so- it. There it is, yeah. yeah. And, and they might not have been, because the ugly... Not ugly, but the, the way they word it in Into the Woods is beautiful of face, but vile and black of heart. And that's the version they've gone with here yeah. as well. They are not human. No, they're not. <laughs> and, Agreed. And so the prince and the king stand out so much. All of his them. little kind of... You know, like his... Uh, the captain of the guard, yeah. who is, who's his, his friend. Yeah, he's um, great. He's really good as well, and... Like Rob Brydon pops up for like oh, yeah, a scene, does, yeah. and I, I liked him. And it's like it's just that whole seat, that whole setup over there is excellent. You know, and like I should also specifically pl- praise Richard Madden in this as the prince. Yeah, um, it was really, really. Yeah, he was. Every line he said, he was. You know, I thought he was the equal of Derek Jacobi in this film. Yeah, I agree. And like you know, obviously, it's a guy who's been cutting his teeth against really good people a lot in Game of Thrones. And, you know, I'm glad this wedding went a lot better for him (laughs) than the previous one. But also, interestingly, like, uh, just as a, as a kind of a, an extra bit of, like, praise, I suppose, for all of these guys, like, uh, I saw, not on stage, but the, like, the, the live cinema screening of the stage production, the 
production of Romeo and Juliet that Kenneth Branagh did after that with Lily James and Richard Madden. Oh. So clearly the three of them liked working together. Right, yeah. And yeah, then he, he had them do the flip side opposite archetypal love story. Yeah. Um, and they were really good in that as well, but completely differently. Well, they're good. They're good. They are good. And th- those, uh, you know, those, you know, if those three decide to do another piece of work all all together, I, I would watch that yeah. as well. But yeah, all of that stuff is great. Um, Because you said you wanted to touch on the ending. Uh, well, not just the ending, like everything, basically the build up to them finding Cinderella. That whole chunk is done very differently by different people. Is this where we talk about Kate Blanchett? Yes. Right, then carry on. <laughs> so, the problem with Cinderella is yeah. that the premise is be- that we that we all know before we know about anything else is that she loses this s- slipper, usually glass, and he tries it on all the maidens in the land in order to find her, and that's how he sees through the fact that she's not a princess in the rest of her life. Um, this being such a basic process of just elimination, just going through all the maidens yeah. trying on a shoe, different versions of it have to put different amount, diff- like make this tense yeah. in some way. The Disney version is one of the more aggravating ones that I'm aware of. The fifth, 1950 version. The 1950 version, because yeah. it has um, a great twist, which is that Lady Tremaine is like, she figures out that this is what's going to happen, so she locks her in the room. Yeah. So now she's going to miss it. The carriage is here. She's locked in this room. No one can find her. That's good. What happens, unfortunately, then, that I don't think is good, is the film isn't tightly... Well, I was going to say edited. They didn't edit them, but... Yeah. Timed, I suppose. Plotted. And so what you get is just a load of mice falling over. And yeah. it's... What, what, watching it yesterday, I realised it's all just little gags of the sort that they've always done with dwarfs and what have you. But if, as a kid, you are watching it with thinking there's this ticking time going down... Yeah. You're like, ah, stop falling over! Yeah. Stop, be grown-ups, just get the key there instead. And so, and of course, that's like, that might be what they were aiming for. So they're creating this massive amount of tension. Yeah. Everything's taking absolutely flipping ages. But then they have this inspired ending, which is that um, the slipper breaks. There's a bit of business. Um, I think, you know, Lady Tremaine, like, trips over the guy who's got the slipper and it smashes before he can get it onto her foot. And you're like, oh! Yeah. This complete this is the revisionist moment in Disney's Cinderella. They've completely changed the story. Now how do we get out of this? Yeah. And how we get out of this is she goes, Oh well, but you see, I've got the other slipper. Like, yeah. Yes! <laughs> that's great. So that I like that aspect of Cinderella, that's well plotted. Yeah. This version turned that on its head because you see her having the slipper, she puts it away and you're like, Oh, there we go, that we're gonna we're leading up to that ending, of course. But then as she comes into the house, something about the music, something about the presentation of the scene. Yeah. Me and Abby went, it's not there. Tremaine's found it. Yeah. Like, we figured it out. And yeah. And sure enough, that she's there going like, interesting flipping little glass slipper you've got or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what her line was, but <laughs> there she is, yeah. illuminated in the, like, the holes that the birds go through in the attic or whatever it is. And um, that was... Let's talk about the Tremaine scene and I'll go back to the changing of the story because... Yeah. Because this was a good bit. This yeah. Was, this was her little star turn that she had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look, I just think she's great. She, yes. Just as a general rule, Kate Blanchett is... I haven't seen her in enough things to know. I've only seen her in basically like this and Lord of the Rings and things where she's like affected in some way. Yeah. She's just she's just in loads of things. and But she's in such a wide range of them as well. Like she can be in small indie films yeah. or she can be in a prestigious Oscar film. Yeah. Or she can just be in a blockbuster like... 
I mean, Lord of the Rings kind of sits halfway between two, you know, because that's kind of an auteur project that was a blockbuster as well. I'm more thinking of this, or most recently she's in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, And she always brings it every time to whatever it is, and that can be completely different every single time. She is just excellent. And, like, for me, her performance in this film is... It's kind of towards the high end of what of what I think you can want and expect from the idea of like what if a real actor yeah. did a famous Disney yes. character, but particularly a famous Disney villain. Yeah, well. absolutely. Because they do they do a, a, a marvelous tightrope walk of fleshing out her character to give her motivations. Yeah, without undermining the fact that she's the Disney villain. You know? Yeah, and this Disney villain as yeah. well, Lady Tremaine, the the most horrible, you know, the archetypal ho- horrible stepmother. Yeah, and she is that, but like I. I just love all of the parts of the film where you understand the pain that would cause this person to curdle in this way. Yeah. Like, I love all that stuff towards the beginning of the film where it's like, where she overhears all of these conversations. Yeah. I actually kind of, I saw it, but because I hadn't seen the film yet, the first time I didn't engage with that enough. So I watched again the first about half hour of the film, maybe 45 minutes of the film, just to really drink it all in. And it's it's all great. It's all there. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when the dad is saying all the stuff about like, yeah, I do miss your mother. Like this house reminds me so much. Because it's like, it's not like it's a bad thing the dad is saying. No, It's, it's very realistic that she would feel extremely jealous of that and start seeing the house as something she needed to make her own instead of the previous woman's because that's after that that she starts saying right we're going to redecorate everything yeah and it's also after the scene where um, the guy delivering the news to Cinderella about the father dying is he's saying some stuff like you know he always talked about you and and your mother and it's and Lady Tremaine is in the background obviously being really hurt by this but it's not an unrealistic thing no. for this guy to say to the daughter Absolutely who stood not. there. Yeah. So, like, all of the... That's... This is... Those are some of the best examples of what I'm talking about. Like, they create these archetypal, absurd fairy tale situations, but they give you these real human yeah. conversations that would credibly lead to why that's the case. Did you see the thing that was going around? I retweeted it recently. Yeah. That this... This, this woman exists. There is right now a Lady Tremaine in the world. Okay. She was posting on Reddit. Have you ever read the uh, Reddit relationship? Ah, one? that one, yeah. Yeah. Ah. I met my husband four years ago, and it was love at first sight. He was a widow and had a daughter. Hey, content warning. We went back and forth over whether or not to include this because it is a bit much, but I've, I've sort of cut it down and uh, here's content warning. So skip like a minute and a half ahead if you don't want to hear this lady being horrible. Uh, you can skip to timestamp 1 hour, 15 minutes, 34 seconds. It was tough to deal with, I won't lie, but I wanted to be with him so badly that it didn't matter. We got married two years ago, and we've had our struggles, I won't deny, but overall it has been a happy, love-filled marriage. At the beginning of our relationship, I was really jealous of his late wife. He had pictures of her around his home. His family loved her and talked about her. His daughter the same. It was tough. I was comparing myself to her. She was beautiful intelligent, successful. I did speak 
to my then-boyfriend about these feelings, and he even took down some of the pictures later in our relationship. Still, his house never felt like my home. When we got engaged, we decided we would buy our own home, and we moved in right before we got married. During the moving process, I found box after box of old photos of his ex. Photos of them together. They'd been together for many, many years and had so much history together. I don't know why, at that moment I snapped. I threw the ones with her away. There was a box of her things. I donated some of the items and threw the rest away. I even went onto the computer and deleted photos he had stored on there. At the time, I felt like I won. For the past two years, my husband hasn't noticed. Anyway, my husband's mum wanted photos of her as she was putting something together for her. He went to look for them and, as you can imagine, they weren't there. He asked me about them and I admitted everything to him as I wasn't going to lie to him. He is very angry at me and can barely look at me. I've asked him to go to marriage counselling but he refuses. I know he loved his late wife very much. He's been in tears half the time when he's speaking to me and won't sleep in the same room as me. I have tried to explain that I've felt guilty ever since and why I did it, but he doesn't care. He asked me what he's supposed to tell his daughter. Some of the materials I donated or threw away were really important. I know I screwed up and I did not handle my emotions correctly. Reddit, I love my husband, and I want to fix this more than anything. What if this is the end of my marriage? I can't let that happen, and I need to fix this. Ah! Right? And it's the same story presented here. She tried to remove the ghost of this, the previous wife and the mother yeah. from the house by literally destroying every evidence that she ever existed. So that it is real. It is a genuine, real thing that people can go through. Yeah. That was awful. <laughs> I I was fascinated but hated reading that. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> oh, God. Um, sorry to yeah. open that wound. Ugh. Yeah. Well, but yeah, um, fun Disney times. Yeah, uh, no, it's... She does a really good job of presenting this character three-dimensionally while just totally delivering all, all the scenes where she just needs to be Lady Tremaine mm. from from uh, Cinderella. Yeah. Um, and what... I mean, what specifically did you want to talk about with the, her big okay, scene well, framed in the darkness? The thing is, after you've got her... She delivers her sort of, you know, explanation, as it were, of, of why she is the way she is. Yeah. And then, straight away, strikes a very grown-up deal with Cinderella. Yeah. Which Cinderella doesn't go along with. But I loved that moment that she was like, right, I'm going to level with you. Frankly, all I care about is that my daughters are married to someone powerful. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this one guy. So you can have that guy. Yeah. But I'll have this power and we'll share and we'll have... She kind of tries to form this sort of unwilling sisters alliance to share power out between them. And yeah. Cinderella being good yeah. is not at all, at all interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I loved the the genuine surprise. I thought I think of it as a twist yeah. that Lady Tremaine tries to then cut her in on the deal yeah. rather than simply throw her out the window or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was just really grown up. I thought it was just a really good yeah, yeah. way of tackling the story. That Cinderella's reaction to that is 
one of the examples I would use of like her showing us yeah, a level of active definitely. That's, acting. That's, her, that's kind of the, the bit that I always... Yeah. It was kind of the only bit I could think of, but it definitely is one where she is... Here is her agency. She yeah. Is, she is turning down the, the last machinations of Lady Germain, even if it means losing everything. Yeah. Because, because it's the moral... You know, she is a person of strong morals who wants to do the moral thing. And I suppose just, again, quickly, briefly flitting back to the earlier scene of when she received the news of her father's death. I liked the thing that she says after that. Yes. Where it's just like... She summons up everything she has to be nice to this guy. To this guy. The I, yeah, I know that must have been very hard for yeah. you. Those are the kind of scenes that yeah. I think are the underpinning of this version of the character that yeah. are valuable. But what were you going to say about well, Tremaine? Well, this whole scene, when, she, when Cinderella turns her down, that leads to her having revealed that she's found the glass slipper, smashing the glass slipper. Yeah. So now we know that they can't do, but you see, sir, I have the other slipper. Yeah. So that, even though it, it just on its own, taken completely on its own, that's a twist, that yeah. moment, because it's, he's done something really horrible. Yeah. But if you happen to be comparing it to the previous Disney film, it's a huge twist, because now, yeah. what the hell is the ending going to be? Unfortunately, all it is, is that she's sat in the window going like, oh, and they <laughs> hear her and go like, another maiden. And that, that being so much less than the, but I have the other slipper bombshell moment in the, in the 951, it's kind of the only moment where this version falls short of the yeah, previous of one. of the previous version. And I yeah. think that's a shame. I, 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 but I, it's it's a very strong moment when they tell you they're gonna not do it that way. That yeah, that promise was huge because it's like already the thing of the slipper is answering an impossible question of how we get through this. Yeah. Um, so when they smack, when Lady Tremaine smashes the slipper in, right in front of you, you go now what? And unfortunately, the answer is there won't be a problem to solve. It's just well, fine. But the thing is, though, the way that this version of the story is set up. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't have worked the previous way anyway because the glass slipper thing's a red herring in this version. Yeah. Because this isn't a cartoon. Uh, yeah, she's got the same face. She has the same face. Yeah. And like, in this version, she's already had a number of very meaningful, lengthy conversations. Yeah. They do actually with know this... each other. Yeah, they know each other as human beings. Yeah. So the only thing that need happen is that they come face to face. Yeah. So they couldn't have done the whole like, oh, you know, look, I can prove I'm definitely that person you talked to for hours well, because I have this shoe. You're right. But in the cartoon, the prince isn't there. It's just the Duke guy. Yeah. Um, so they could have done something. And I, I, I think there is room for them to do something there. But yes, that presumably is why they made that decision. And I think it, I, I don't mind that it takes the focus off the aha moment in, yeah. and, and just puts it more into like, a, you know, the, the scene that we get instead of like where, you know, the important thing is that they reconcile as people. It kind of yeah. becomes more of a... It becomes more of Aladdin's ending than it becomes Cinderella's ending. It's the whole, like, will you actually take me as I am? Yes. You know, I'm but a street rat, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, and it's, like I said, it it's rewritten to work into the whole people valuing each other for their basic human decency yeah. rather than anything else, yeah. rather than their riches or their power or, or, or anything else. So, like... That all works very well. Yeah. 
it, like I say, this one was a very... This was a small bother. Um, yeah. I think it was just, again, as with the fairy godmother scene, it was several small... Like, in a film where I wasn't having any bothers at all, yeah. several little ones kind of hit me at the same time. The fact that it was just fairly straight. They just kind of saw that she was there because they heard her voice. And then all the men went and rescued her and all of these things. All these little bothers that don't really matter. Yeah. They just all happened at the same time. So I was having a little fizz. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like, well, okay, well, Cinderella didn't do that. These guys just, just barreled in and said... Well, I mean, I suppose you can look... I mean, look at it. What is happening there is she's saved by the mice she was kind to. Is she? Yeah, like, she doesn't know. Oh, they open the window. Oh, yeah. That, there, there we go. But Tiny doesn't matter bother. Piling on Tiny doesn't matter bother. Something annoyed me about the fact that the, the way that the, the whole thing was resolved was based on, ha-ha, the mouse is fat. Because the, all the mice couldn't turn the handle. But the yeah. fat one could, because he's fat. <laughs> sure, I get that, but... It's fine. It's but in a broader thematic sense, yeah. this is the result of her kindness to the smallest things. Yeah. She has been so unfailingly good yes. to even the mice living in the house yeah. that it's ultimately their action. Yes. And th that stands out more in this version because in the 50s Disney version, um, it almost just like, we do get an intro telling us the whole story, but we pretty much cut to animation with Cinderella already in her bad situation, already a servant. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that she lives in the coal cellar and there are mice there, yeah, that it all just kind of is of a piece. Whereas in this version, we've seen her growing up as something quite like nobility. Yeah. So for her to be nice to the mice in the house is actually more of a standout act of goodness. Yeah. Um, because she starts from a high power position, essentially. And I think that's the thing that's underpinning the entire film. It's just everything that Cinderella is doing in this film in terms of, like, the position that she's in, she's choosing it because she deems it to be the moral high ground. Yeah. Like, we see from the scene where she rides away and yeah. meets the prince, she can leave at oh, any God, time. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten that. I love that. Yeah, that's how she meets the prince. She just yeah. goes, do you know what? Screw you guys, and just gets on a horse and just leaves. Yeah. That was really good. But then, like, the meeting with the prince, it kind of reinforces in her mind the idea that, like, no, like... It's important to me to be high-minded about yeah. all of this stuff. And so, like, even yeah. if she'd stayed there in her impoverished condition, I suppose, post the end of the film, I think the idea is that she would have been happy doing that because it's her decision to be there and maintain the kind of, like, the dignity and memory of this house as best she can yeah. and hold on to her own morality, the morality passed down to her by her parents. Yeah. Even in the face of all of these people being assholes to her yeah. and that like her view on it is like look i am gonna be kind to these people if they're gonna treat me like this whatever because i know i'm right here if they're gonna ask me for something completely unreasonable like this this deal she's trying to cut me in yeah. about like sharing power with her so she can run the kingdom no yeah. i'm not gonna do that because that's not what my moral view is yeah. but like am i gonna stay here and look after the house and if you know like if they're gonna stay here and like boss me around like am i gonna am i gonna like poison their soup yeah. or something like no i'm not because i'm i'm better than them yeah but i'm not gonna let them drive me out of my own house like whether that's 
whether you feel that's successfully conveyed or not, I think that's supposed to sit at the heart of what you're supposed to understand about this version of Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. Which is the thing that makes her not passive in all of these things she's doing. Everything she's doing is of her own choice because she thinks that's the moral thing to do. And that's why I liked it and that's why I like that it is... Like I say, this tribute to decency <laughs> as its own reward and the fact that, like, if you if you live your life as a decent person, even in the face of, like, the fact that people are sometimes going to take advantage of that and treat you badly, like, you will also meet like-minded people and the people who you've helped will reciprocate that and there will be more kindness in the world yeah. and that will ultimately help everybody. And... I just like that. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a really good thing to be in a film. And I think that's like, it's a much more comprehensive, comprehensively useful. I mean, look, as we've, as we've discussed, it's not all encompassing and there's, you know, there's problems you can pick with it, yeah. even within the context of the way it's presented, but it's a much, much more fundamentally solid moral than the moral of Cinderella in the first place, yeah. which is, you know, if you are blandly ple pleasant, then someone will magically fix all of your problems. It sort of still follows that as a basic story mm. out outline, but it just fleshes it out into something that feels like a three-dimensionally useful piece of moral analysis. Yeah. While still being Cinderella. Mm. I think that's a minor miracle. It's really surprising that this film exists the way it does. Yeah. The fact that, that the result of that, of all of these unlikely things happening, is a film that can feel bland. Yeah. Kind of disguises how, how much hard work it took to get oh, there. Oh, yeah. There's clearly hours and hours and hours of thought yeah. applied to how this will all fit together. Yeah. And I like them, you know, just to tie off all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. at, you know, the, that final moment at the end of the film when she's leaving the house and she's like, I forgive you. Yeah, the, yeah. That's the moment that really just crystallizes what they're going for with, with the moral idea of this film. And to me, that's a fantastic way of updating the moral of Cinderella. Part of, part of how impressive it is that they managed to pull this off, I don't think I've really mentioned this enough, is that Cinderella never really crosses the line to annoying. No. And that's very clever because... I don't know, we, we, maybe we're just cynical or whatever, but I think an audience would be very quick to turn on a nice, a nice princess Cinderella character. Not even, like, quirky nice. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you know, she's sort of, you know, like, I suppose something in the, um, the Disney Rapunzel vein, Yeah. say, where it's, you know, she's about as nice, but she also has that kind of, like, quirky scatterbrain thing. Yeah. Whereas this person is just... I mean, she's, it's not just like that she's like in the traditional sense blandly nice but she's blandly nice in the kind of like talking in an old-fashioned way yeah. kind of nice and frankly i should find that insufferable yeah. I and mean, it's the kind of thing that i shouldn't like right it's very close and it and it just i think it shows you how much it shows you how much it is about direction and about like it's not necessarily when we say that we can't have a film that's an old fairy tale told straight again. Yeah. It's not because we can't. It's not because there's something in the air and our species has changed. It's because yeah. directors don't. And when they do, they fail. Oh, and this didn't fail. No, no, it doesn't fail. And and like I say, it for me this it, it this film does sit apart from all of the all of the other remakes they've done. And frankly, from most other films that exist in the current era yeah. for these reasons because it is just such a it's such a kind of like an attempt to kind of like go back 
and just take something from like from antiquity almost yeah. in terms of in terms of like how primordial an idea it is when so many of the other disney films are like deconstructions or reactions this feels like a restoration that's the thing i would liken it to it's taking something very old and making it genuinely new yeah. like it's a brand new take that is the old thing still yes. but like repolished and repurposed and in that respect creatively i think this has more in common with the kind of the frame of thinking that went into making the original animated films than it does with the frame of thinking that goes into making the remakes yeah oh yeah like and if they're going to keep doing these i'd like to see them do that more yeah they have done it at least once again like i said i think i don't know if we're doing pete's dragon but that does that too i mean but in the case of pete's dragon though that's not really like an old story that they're adapting it's you know they're not really even adapting the disney film pete's dragon in that respect the new pete's dragon is it's just a new example of the boy and his non-human body kind of movie yeah. uh whereas this is specifically a, a new a, an attempt to make a definitive new like good enough for the disney time capsule yeah. version of one of the most classic of all stories and and it does so in a way that like i said the heck almost disney themselves almost don't do it anymore in terms of like their animation division don't really do don't take this approach to to making fairy tales no. anymore frozen definitely doesn't no. take this approach princess and the frog definitely doesn't no. take this approach um that's why it's weird it's mm. it, it's 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 a it's it's a film made with kind of like modern sensibilities but like 1940s intentions yeah um and it works <laughs> it, it does work yeah and just to be able to put something that i mean so for example in you would never in 1950 have had that scene with the king's death no it could not have gone in it just no. couldn't have done um and it was a, a standout scene and it was here but it's right in the framework that they had yeah and that they could have used back then and yeah it's quite a remarkable thing yeah it's it, and it it ends up standing out among the disney remakes as like this is a this is a noteworthy a piece of filmmaking i think he just it, just in and of itself because yeah. it's really it's doing something that is of significance of on its own merits even not as a disney remake mm. um and yeah i would very much like to see more of that in future if these are things they're going to carry on making and i'll certainly say that regardless of any nitpicks i had it is better than the 1950 cinderella and frankly i mean you know do, that that's remarkable in and yeah, of itself it really is because you know my personal opinion of it aside that's one of them main canon animated disney fairy tale films yeah not as many of them as we like to imagine and it's one of the main ones yeah and this is better this is an improvement yeah i can't and i can't except the fairy godmother scene <laughs> well yeah but i can't figure out a robust um rebuttal to that idea yeah. i can't imagine someone sitting me down and yeah. laying out to me how the 1950 version is a better piece of certainly of storytelling uh filmmaking you know like okay the 1950 version has a lot of significance in terms of like its place in animation history yes we have to give it that so yeah they remade a film and made a and made it better yep how about that how let's about see that? let's see them do that again 
So what's next? Um, what is next? Is it Pete's Dragon next or? Uh, it's Jungle Book next. It's I think. Jungle Book next. Yeah, oh, I think so. A treat. Yeah, uh, that'll be an interesting one. I'm yeah. very curious to see what your reaction yeah, to that me one too. is. Because at the moment, having not seen it, not seen it. Yeah. I, know, I couldn't even tell you. I've definitely seen the trailer. Yeah. Um, all I can picture is a sort of mess, and I know it isn't because you mm. say it isn't. I all I'm picturing is kind of like brilliantly filmed jungle sets. Babe-style, flappy-mouth-talking animals, and apparently Christopher Walken singing King Louis' flipping <laughs> song. So, like, there's no way these these ingredients can be good, but I hear they are, so I can't wait to find out how. I mean, for one thing, there are no jungle sets. Ah, is the, it all... It's literally all CG. Really? I assumed it was just filmed in a jungle or something. The only thing in the film, in this live-action Disney remake, <laughs> that is live-action is the boy. Gosh. It's entirely green screen. Okay. With that in mind, it, it like... I suppose now what I'm picturing is a bit less like dinosaur. So, yeah, okay, that's a good thing. <laughs> it's a, it like, genuinely, whether you like the style of Jungle Book or not, it's yeah. a remarkable technical yeah. achievement. But we'll see how you feel about the film next time. And I don't think I'm going to be too uncanny valued by the animals. Because A, because everyone says they're good. But B, I, I, I heard that and went, yeah, everyone liked Babe. But now I've seen that I wasn't even like put off by the um uh the, the dog that I think showed up in Through the Looking Glass. Like, yeah, yeah. There's certainly an animal in Through the Looking Glass, and I was like, oh okay, they okay, yeah, they have figured out how to do this. Yeah. And presumably Jungle Book is like however many years better than that. It's it, it's it's stylistically odd at times. Yeah. But it works, I think, and it works in service of a very interesting take on the material. It's not just going through the motions, and nor is it totally missing the point. It's, it is an interesting take all on its own. And But we'll talk about that next time. We will. So, bye. Go away. Go away. Oh, yeah, we need to sort this out. <laughs> How do we end these? Um, we could just do the like and subscribe thing. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, smash that kindness button and remember to be brave. <laughs> yeah, look, that'll do. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I waved to a microphone. <laughs> you can contact us if you like, seriousdisness at gmail.com or at seriousdisness on Twitter. And if you like the podcast and you want it to continue without just sort of fizzling away as many podcasts do, then the best way to do that is to go over onto Apple Podcasts and give us a good review and five stars because then the algorithms deliver us to new listeners. And if you're looking for something else to listen to now, uh, go and check out Sonic the Comic, the podcast. That's another thing I do. Okay, thanks. Bye.